1: Welcome to the Malouli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 260. Thanks for tuning in. I'm one of your co-hosts, Tom Malouli. Along with me today is my other co-host, Brendan Malouli.
0: Yeah, do you have any hot IPOs for me? Have I got a hot IPO for you? about some Blue Apron at
1: $10 a share?
0: Read a a headline recently that was talking about Blue Apron, which is a company that went public very recently. And uh, this has been the case for a lot of these IPOs over the last couple of years, it seems that uh, they don't really get that first day pop that they're looking for for whatever reason in terms of the price going up a lot. And then they begin reporting earnings and companies like Blue Apron or uh, Lyft or some of these startup tech kind of companies are reporting profits or earnings, and like those numbers aren't necessarily uh, making people feel better after not seeing great price action right on the IPO. I know
1: that uh, the day that we are recording this, Uber, probably one of the largest IPOs that has been talked about for the last couple of years, uh, will be announcing their first quarterly earnings ever and there's a lot of anticipation about what kind of numbers are they going to report and what's their forecast for how much cash they're going to continue to burn through because here's a company Uber pretty large they are still not profitable and still burning through cash. So right? there- and I know we don't want to talk specifically about blue apron which by the way now trades for less than the price of a newspaper.
0: Yeah, the in this article they were saying that it's it's a dollar and 5 cents a share now right. and that if it dips below a dollar for 30 days or more it gets delisted delisted. Not a great thing to be talking about but uh, to your point, I don't really have strong feelings about whether Blue Apron can turn this around or whether they're a profitable business or not, or Uber or Lyft, or they name some of these other ones, like Pinterest or uh, Chewy.com, which I know that I, I use for pet supplies. They deliver things to okay, my house.
1: Chewy is being carved out of um, PetSmart?
0: Yeah, it's PetSmart or Petco, one of right. the big two there. They actually I, own-
1: I didn't know yeah. that they own them. Pretty smart.
0: I, I only knew because uh, we get cat food from uh, chewy.com it's very convenient uh it's, it's great but that doesn't mean it's going to be a profitable company or that i know what direction the ipo is going in that's right. uh and i think that that's at least with these big name ones people fall victim to this like with with an uber or a lyft too or even a, even a blue apron ago. it's a it's meal prep stuff right, so like yeah. people use these products and people want to invest in stuff because they use it and uber is convenient i mean that's like I don't even think about getting a cab anymore. Why would I get a cab?
1: (laughs) I met – last week I met with an 83-year-old client, and I told her that I came to this meeting in Uber in a a minivan basically – and she was like, My friends have been telling me to use Uber, but now that you're using it, I know that it's okay. I'm going to use it now.
0: <laughs> it's got the Tom Maluli stamp of approval.
1: That's right. So we're not recommending or unrecommending any of these names that are being mentioned in this podcast. So we have no opinion, one way or the other, on Uber, Blue Apron, Lyft, or any other company that we're talking about. What we want to talk about is. A lot of
0: companies today are going public and they don't have earnings. Even if they did, we don't know necessarily what they've been because they've been a private company and they can tell you whatever they want when they're a private company. For, Pretty much. For the most part. And I don't think that people are making decisions to invest. I don't think people get feelings about investing in an IPO based upon earnings. No. It's it's about familiarity. Yeah. And so people are familiar with these companies and because you pay to use them or... You've seen other people using them. You wonder, is this something worth putting money into? Is this a good idea? It seems, it sure seems like it. People use Uber all the time. Shouldn't that mean that the stock price is gonna go up? Right. It That's not the way that this works, and to do that with a serious amount of money is a really, really dangerous game to play, and it's not one that we would ever recommend to anybody doing with any real amount of money. That's the important part, I think.
1: Not the serious money. So I want to go back to what you were just talking about how a lot of these companies we don't know what their pre-public numbers looked like. We we just don't know. We have to go on their word. And then you think about hey, if you know one of the biggest internet memes or on Twitter at least is hey, if you invested blank dollars in this company when they went public, this is what you would have today. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine that Uh, If you invested a certain amount of money in Blue Apron at $10 when they went public and now it is, I don't even know where they went public, but even if you bought them a year ago and it was $10, now it's a dollar. You feel like an idiot.
0: You feel like an idiot. That doesn't necessarily mean that 10 years from now it could not be. $2,000 a share. Okay. So, and then in hindsight, it's like, well, if you only put $10 into Blue Apron, it would be worth $2,000 a share today. Well, why didn't you do that, genius? It's because this is really volatile and it's it's really, really tough to hang on to this stuff because we don't know what's going to end up in the graveyard and what's going to be a good investment. Absolutely
1: right. We just don't know. And so, you look at things like, you know, Amazon didn't report earnings, positive earnings forever, I mean, for years and years. And yet, you know, if you had the guts to buy that stock and hang on, it worked out great. On the
0: other hand, in 2000, instead of Chewy, talking about stick with the pets theme, everyone uses this as a punching bag. Instead of Amazon or alongside Amazon, you could have bought pets.com. And if you decided to hang on to that one too, you lost your shirt. It's gone. Right. So what's the difference? The only difference now in hindsight is that one worked and the other one didn't. There was no assurance at the time when they were both tanking during the tech Right tech bubble that one was going to make it and the other one isn't. And so to say in hindsight that you would have known to hang on to Amazon and to get your money out of Pets.com is absolutely ridiculous. It
1: is ridiculous. And so another example we can throw in there is Priceline, which mm-hmm. went public, just kind of meandered. It went public right before all the dot-coms exploded. It went um, crashing. It went to a dollar. Priceline, I haven't looked at the stock in a long time, but I know it's well over a $1,000 a share. Right from a dollar. Yeah. So sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Sometimes I think we should cover up the stock name or the stock symbol and just ask people, do you want red or black today? Because that's really what
0: you're doing. You're gambling
1: yeah. with this money.
0: So I think that, how does, this, how does this fit into like where we discuss this with clients? If clients call and ask us. Because, and this is part of the reason why we're talking about this today, because clients do call
1: periodically and will ask us, mm-hmm. hey, this company is going public, what do you think? Mm. It's a tough question because there's a lot of hot money in stocks when they first go public. And there's a rotation. Remember, when a company goes public, it's going public because the insiders are selling their shares. Mm-hmm. Somebody's selling so you can buy. Yeah, that's right? always the
0: case, is it yeah. not?
1: <laughs> and you'll see that sometimes on these hot IPOs, the volume on the first day and in the first week is 10, 20, sometimes 100 times the float. And so that means that the shares are trading hands hourly. Like people are buying it at 11 o'clock and selling it at noon. And so this is just rapid fire trading. That's it's not,
0: yeah, on. it's not trading based upon anything to do with the company or whether or not they're gonna make it in the long run. It's all about feelings. So we have to bring
1: up a name uh, I think fits in with this Blue Apron story and some of these other stories that we're talking about. Facebook. So Facebook went public. Mm -hmm. It was a really hot stock. You know, the first day or two, this thing went way up and people were unhappy. I didn't get any stock in in the IPO allocation. This is terrible. And over the first quarter that they were public, people were like filing lawsuits because they didn't get any shares in the IPO and they wanted it. And then they reported earnings. And the stock went all the way down to 19. Right. And were any of them
0: clamoring to buy then? No. And right. no one wanted to buy it. <laughs> exactly. In
1: fact, there were people saying, this stock is going to zero. This joke.
0: is going to be my space. Yeah. And now look at it. Right. So, And it's been everything in between since then. It's yes. been the goat. It's been the hero. You Scandal obviously ridden It's been everything. If you bought at the lows uh, off of the IPO, then you've made tons of money. But who did that? more importantly the way at least that we approach this here when people call in to talk about these different companies is to just discuss this concept of them being gambles and then and then you discuss everything that falls into the gamble or speculative bucket we have a way that we like to handle that where with our clients we've obviously we've run a financial plan for them we are handling their net worth in many cases, uh, in its entirety, and they're relying upon this plan and this portfolio to support them uh, in their retirement and to do what they want to do. And so, this is all serious stuff. Things like IPOs don't belong inside of a serious investment portfolio. And so, what you can do when when we run a plan for somebody is to say, based upon your situation and the plan that we put together, here's an amount that you can afford to take and put into your speculative account. And if you wanna go in there and trade shares of IPOs and swing for the fences with this amount, it won't matter, it could all go to zero and your and your financial plan would still be fine. And to allow people that release valve I think helps because people do want to be entertained and they to do. gamble a little bit and that's great or they wanna own shares in a company that they like and understand or use the product, that's terrific. Uh, but it's not, don't, don't confuse that with the investing that you need to do to support your lifestyle in retirement because they're two totally different things. So you gotta make that distinction and figure out what can I afford to lose if you really want to play that game at all. Well
1: said. I wish there were a way to stop these Twitter memes. People continue to crank these things out. If you invested $1,000 in fill in the blank, today you would have X. That is so not true. Because 99% of people who bought Amazon, fill in the blank, it could be anything, on the IPO, Microsoft, 1986, on the IPO,
0: you don't own it today. No, you got shaken out somewhere along the way. Yeah. And and maybe you made a nice profit, and that's great, but yeah. to say that you've been in there the entire time, unless you're Bill Gates with Microsoft or Jeff Bezos with Amazon, right. like, get real. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there are people out there that did that, and that's great for them, but... They've literally sat through like 90 plus percent drawdowns on their money, yeah. and that is superhuman. If they should be lauded for anything, I don't think it was their foresight because they didn't know anything that we didn't at the time. They, they just believed more and hung in there. So they have more fortitude than us. It doesn't mean they're smarter than us. They've That's, got more money than us, probably. I mean, Jeff Bezos, but hey, it does okay. Right, that's the reward for him sticking in there. But the reward just as easily could have been him hanging onto a company that tanked, and he would not be Jeff Bezos today, and I wouldn't get boxes from Amazon Prime two times a week on my doorstep. I would get it from nothing. <laughs> I don't know something else. Right? Like, yeah,
1: it's sitting through the drawdown that most people can't handle because their name isn't Bill Gates. They don't own or the company. Bezos because they're
0: not tied
1: into the company. Yeah,
0: I think you have more belief in something or more fortitude, or you literally just don't have another option if, if you're that tied in with the company. Uh, yeah. That is your entire net worth regardless. I mean, you get your salary from there and the stock is from there. So, I mean, do you really have a choice? I don't think there is a choice to sell. So we uh, talk a lot about
1: uh, giving our client, our clients guidance and advice. And now the SEC is picking up Uh, this topic of how much advice do brokers give to their
0: clients? Yeah, well, this is an interesting one, and it stems from the way that advice has really been defined over time uh, by the SEC. Uh, and, And they've made, you know, via the Investment Advisors Act of 1940, there is an exemption that allows people to uh, basically to give advice but not be an investment advisor or be licensed as one, it has to be the phrase is solely incidental right And so this this can apply this exemption can apply to people like accountants and lawyers in their practice but but it, but it also applies to brokers. this is just a really cloudy issue especially for people outside of our industry because people don't usually say I'm an investment advisor representative, or a broker, but that is what everybody is. And sometimes people wear both of those hats. That's even scarier, right? But everybody under that umbrella largely refers to themselves as advisors in some capacity, whether it's a wealth advisor, financial advisor, investment advisor, financial planner, wealth manager, investment manager, all of these things. They don't mean anything different to anybody outside of our industry.
1: However, the term investment advisor actually has a legal tone to it. Right. For lack of a better term. Yeah. So if you're an investment advisor, you have a fiduciary responsibility to your client. If you are anything else, you do have some modicum of um, fiduciary responsibility. You you can't just rip people off.
0: No, Uh, because then you'll be out of business. Right. But there's a line that you can tow in terms of ethics let's say, uh, and you can get away with it, I think. You you can say that you're a financial advisor, advise somebody to do something, but then if you're, if you're actually a broker and you're operating under this financial advisor guise, if you're taken then to an arbitration hearing for wronging a client or if they think they've been wronged, you can then turn around and say, well, I actually am just a broker, and that wasn't advice. It was just sales information that was solely incidental to you know, my role as a broker in this transaction. And that kind of lets you skirt from maybe giving poor advice. Whereas if you were an actual advisor, you would probably be held liable for that. Right. So that's the difference.
1: I think most people, as you were alluding to earlier, most people outside of our industry don't understand the difference between brokers and advisors. And TD Ameritrade has done a lot of marketing in this space because they're trying to educate as we are, that there's a, a vast difference between the responsibilities of an investment advisor and pretty much everyone else in the business. I know that when I looked to get into the industry in the early 80s, your title, if you worked at Dean Witter, you were an account executive. Hmm. If you worked at EF Hutton, you were also an account executive. Right. Uh, Shearson was kind of Cachet, and so they, vice president. <laughs> no, they. Uh, yeah, well, that's when you hit two hundred thousand in sales and okay. commissions, you became a VP. Yeah. If you worked at Shearson, you were a financial consultant. Right. They blur the lines yeah. by using these phrases. Even the term financial advisor, it's nothing. You know, for years, the old joke used to be, people would say they're a financial planner, and the next line would be, "So you sell life insurance." Hmm. And that's basically what a lot of people in the 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s, if you hung out a shingle as a financial planner, you were a life insurance guy. Mm-hmm. That's really it. That's, um,
0: that's changed a lot with uh, the CFP board becoming basically like the gold standard of financial advisor designations. Right. I think it usually means in the case that now this person has... A CFP designation and probably isn't just an insurance salesperson, but you can't be you can't be sure about that either. But uh, a decent filter, if if there is one. So can we just spend
1: a minute talking about dual registered registrants?
0: Yeah, I mean they're registered as brokers and uh, advisors. Kind of, I think that it's unclear when you're getting advice from the advisor or when you're getting just like a sales pitch from the broker I'm I'm not sure how you distinguish between the two I can think of reasons for people to have both like if you do or have done in the past some kind of uh, business that would be still better served under a brokerage model where they're people are just coming to you every so often and they want to buy bonds or something like that and and maybe they're they're better served uh, under a brokerage model than paying an ongoing fee for advice uh, and investment management and then, then sure but It doesn't help to say that people can be in both camps.
1: A red flag, in my opinion, when you'll read on a website or hear on a commercial where they talk about, you know, come visit us, and then they say, uh, you know, again, in small print, services offered by this broker and then investment advice offered by this and the two companies are not connected. But they are, it's offered by the same person. Mm -hmm. So a little cloudy, to say the least. So what's the SEC talking
0: about now? So they want to take a look at what what solely incidental means. And by the sound of things, it sounds like they're going to become more lenient with what that means as opposed to more strict. More strict would be my preference, or, or an elimination of this altogether would be my preference. But... Them getting more specific about what solely incidental means in terms of being able to be excluded from, you know, being an advisor and holding out, uh, giving advice. I mean, like, I'm not sure that the exemption should, should exist at all, but I think that they're going in the other direction, unfortunately, because that's where all the lobbyist dollars are.
1: It's to bet uh, it would be a great opportunity for the investment investment advisor community to finally have a fiduciary standard of
0: care. <clears throat> that that was thwarted last year, though. There was there was a broader based effort to have that an actual fiduciary uh, fiduciary standard put in, and you spoke on a panel uh, about just that at at NASDAQ. Right. That has been swatted down, and this seems like it's going in. That direction, too. So none of these have been positive developments, in my opinion, for the end receiver of investment services.
1: I've also uh, read, read a headline just today where the Department of Labor is talking about reintroducing the fiduciary standard before the end of the year. That means it'll they will have something in about
0: ten or twelve years. Check back, <laughs> or it'll just yeah. get shot down again. Isn't it the same group we of people will, that shot it down last time we that will it would be go to? at episode seven hundred and sixty yeah. at that point? <laughs> I honestly think that we could be at episode five hundred and we could still be talking about a fiduciary standard. I'm just not sure that I ever see it happening with all the all, all the money that uh, stands to lobby or to be harmed by a fiduciary standard. I just think. A lot of dollars will change hands to keep that from happening and I think that's that's just me being realistic I don't think that's cynical
1: so I think the marching orders for the investment advisor community is to just continue to get the message out Mm. so potential clients understand that there's a difference between working with a broker and working with an advisor there are good brokers there are great brokers that I know personally great brokers and not so great brokers there are great advisors and not so great advisors
0: you're gonna get some in every bunch Mm -hmm. that's just the way it is it's tough because i agree with you but if not that then like how how are people supposed to know whether these people are good or bad beforehand and what does that mean hard to good or bad i don't know it's really tough so i'm just thinking of a simplistic from a simplistic standpoint of like what should people be looking for i don't i don't really know well thanks for uh, listening to episode 260 we
1: appreciate you tuning in and we will catch you on the next episode